welcome to Temple of Health Radio Show. This is Dr. Susan Kolb, and today I'm pleased to have as my guest Allison Smith. She's the author of Can't See the Wood for the Trees, Landscaping Your Life to Get Back on Track. Allison is a uh, facilitator and trainer who developed a process of landscaping your life as a method to help people get unstuck and back into their flow. And this book is a description of how to do that. Welcome, Allison. Thank you for having me. So uh, we're talking to you from Scotland, is that right? I am, yes. It's a bit dreary here today. We've suddenly decided to have rain. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're having rain in Atlanta, too. In fact, we've had rain for about, um, I think, a week, and I'm hearing reports all over the U.S. of so much rain that they're having landslides. I hope you're not having landslides because people foolishly built houses uh, on hills that were not packed well, and when we have a lot of rain, then we can have landslides. No, we've we've got a lot of um, mountains and sort of firm rock here. Although when I was I in think Atlanta, you've got rock, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I was better. in Atlanta the last time, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, Atlanta was very warm when I was there a few years ago. I was there in uh, August, so it was very warm then. Yeah, it can be warm, but we do have seasons here, um, and not so bad as Florida. So that's good. So. Um, uh, Allison, tell the listening audience a little bit about your background and how you became a teacher and facilitator and, and how you got the idea to use these metaphors to help people get unstuck. I started very traditionally in, you know, in business, really, um, as a purchaser. And it wasn't until I think I describe it in the book as I was sleepwalking and uh, and then got the, the the marriage came to an end, and as such things happen, when the such things happen, then suddenly you start to revisit life. And I opened my eyes to, oh, there's more to life than sleep the, the sleepwalking I was doing. So that was, um, yeah, <laughs> a number of years ago now, 25 years ago. And as a result of that, I dived into sort of self exploration understanding me and went into NLP and did all sorts of crystal healing Peruvian shamans you name it and as a result of that had a found a love for helping other people getting unstuck and I think I think because of my own resistance to, to hearing advice from other people realized that metaphors are a great means of shifting mindset really that rather than logic or rather than somebody telling you this is what you should be doing which I would always react to and say of course I shouldn't be doing that uh, that I found that uh, metaphors work and yes I had started using gardening as a metaphor in um, at work as a metaphor for purchasing which is the profession that I started in and realized mm -hmm. that People understand that you know that you need for a garden. That a garden needs that the lawn needs mowing, plants need nurturing. They might need time in the greenhouse. They need pruning. They need weeding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And didn't understand that about suppliers and thought suppliers could sit. You know, you could bring in a supplier and suppliers would deliver what you wanted rather than being nurtured <laughs> right. and uh, and and what I realized having that conversation was that people I mean I still get enthusiastic about purchasing but 
in an organization, most people aren't enthusiastic about purchasing. And I realized that by using a metaphor, suddenly you could talk to people and they could understand what you were talking about because mm -hmm. they knew about gardening. They didn't know about purchasing. And that's that's where it started. And then I think I just increased it then to say, well, it's not just gardening it's landscapes in general and it's not just purchasing it's life in general mm -hmm. where we can relate anything we're doing by looking out the window and looking at nature and going what is the sunrise telling me about my life how do I need to start again or how do I um yeah need to put the dark night of the soul behind me and, and embrace the new day or whatever the mm -hmm. uh, metaphor is yeah, in terms, in terms of the metaphor, there were two things that I thought about that um, the metaphor helped us reach. Um, you know, we have our conscious life, which is what we're yeah. most used to. And then we have our subconscious, which we're not really aware of unless we do deep shamanic work or dream work or whatever. And then we have our superconscious, which is our higher self, which... Um, hopefully those of us on the spiritual path is getting more familiar with. But, you know, if you're just aware of your conscious life and you're, you've got a problem in your conscious life, the metaphor itself will help you look at blockages by bringing the blockages into the metaphor so you can see them and also help you with information coming from a higher level that you, um, you know, like the aha moment, in your book, the aha moment is information coming in from a higher level to help you with the problem in your conscious life. So that's why I think the metaphor works because it allows access to both the subconscious and the and the higher the superconscious. Definitely, I've been talking a lot this week about logic <laughs> and why people resist and feel that logic's the only way to be able to solve problems when sometimes, as you say, and I, I suppose I'm using logic um, to describe the conscious mind, really, which is the, mm -hmm. yeah, the, all of the reasons why we're stuck and all of that, um, all the judgments and assumptions and all the reasons why we, you know, we're right to say that we're stuck. And, and as you say, metaphor just enables us um, so, somewhere I read that our subconscious or the superconscious doesn't talk in words. And therefore, that's why it's really helpful to have a metaphor, because it understands metaphor and can convey so much more. Because in the, in the book, I say, you, you know, um, a, a picture paints a thousand words. And I think a metaphor mm -hmm. paints a thousand pictures. So you're right. conveying so much wealth of wisdom and you're right, I, I think it is the subconscious that's that's nudging you to notice whatever it is in nature or the, that pattern within the metaphor. Yeah, it's because almost like you can, you can see the, um, if you look out in a landscape or, a, you know, whatever, in your imagination, you can be shown what the blockage is and how to get around it. It's almost like in your imagination, you can be shown things. Uh, out in nature, looking out in nature, you can be shown things that you might not in your logical day-to-day -day thinking uh, get to. Definitely, definitely. I think because we don't, there isn't any attachment to the metaphor, so we, can, we are much mm -hmm. more likely to be able to talk about a deep valley 
without any judgment about what that deep valley means. Whereas if, as soon as we start talking perhaps about mental health difficulties or depression, we feel a judgment. And therefore mm -hmm. we avoid that or we, or we start to, oh, well, I can't do that because. Whereas in the metaphor, mm -hmm. it's much more the art of the possible. And the hardest thing is to stick with the metaphor because people love to jump. You know, the conscious mind is there going, oh, let me, let me find the analogy. Let me find the analogy. And mm -hmm. the hardest thing is to stick with the metaphor for as long as possible so that our inner wisdom has had chance to really fully explore all of the options, all of the opportunities. And then, and only once we've got all of that brilliant list of options and solution or potential solutions, to start to it's think... It's a way well, to be creative. Oh, it's a definitely. way to be creative. Yeah, yeah and without, and without mm. all... Because when you're in your conscious mind... Everything is um, – there's a lot of truth to the, the idea, which is really in the Course in Miracles, that when you're conscious, all you do is relive the past. In other words, when oh, you're easy. looking for solutions, you're limited by what your past experience is. So if you had a bad experience with, say, you know, um, a marriage or a or, – you know, a certain job or whatever, you're going to go negative on that, you know, because all you've got is your past. You don't have, you think you know because your past was such and such that if you choose that path again, it's going to be the same. So everything's like blocked off. And I, th and I think sometimes as well, the longer we've had a problem, the more the conscious is attached to that problem at some level because if, if it was easy, we'd have solved it by now and therefore we talk mm -hmm. ourselves into the fact that it's a un unsolvable problem. Um, right, and we just, we just say, well, help. we're just going to have to, <laughs> you know, tolerate it forever, you know. We just resign to it and, and we don't have to. Um, so what are some of the uh, metaphors that you explore in the book, Um the, well, the interesting the thing is just, is just it's linked actually to what we've just been talking about in that mm -hmm. sometimes we'll use sayings to describe being stuck. So we might say, can't see the wood for the trees, or we might say we're stuck in a rut, or we're up a creek without a paddle, or head mm -hmm. in the sand, or um, like a fish out of water. And we use those sayings to describe being stuck. And it's as if we're validating the fact that we are stuck. It's like, I'm stuck in a rut. I'm stuck. Mm -hmm. I can't do anything about it. And what I, the book invites us to do is to say, well, how, how might it be if actually the language you're using is a hint as to where the solution might lie? So rather than seeing mm -hmm. being stuck in a rut, as a description of the stuck state and the difficulty, how might it be if that's a hint about where the solution lies? And therefore, if you're stuck in a rut, I'd be inviting you. Well, there's a number of different ways, but sometimes it's what would you do in a real rut? So the other week mm -hmm. I was with somebody and they said, I'm stuck in a rut. And I invited them to describe the rut. So tell me what's, you know, if you were to imagine what this rut looks like, what's it like? And so we were able to talk about, well, how would you get out of that in real life? What, why is it that you're in the rut, um, but not in real life? This is metaphorically. What's stopping you stepping out of the rut? And so you'd mm -hmm. explore the rut. So, and, and, and I have before now, if somebody says, oh, you know, I feel like I'm stuck in a rut, we'll go out into nature and find a rut. 
to step mm-hmm. into in order for them to step out of it. So it's, there's very, I mean, I think in the book, there's about 15 different ways of tackling each of the metaphors that are contained within the saying. So can't see the wood for the trees. What would you do in a real wood if you couldn't see the wood for the trees? Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, there's, numerous things that you do and it's as if by exploring the solutions within the metaphor within the wood that either you're able to then metaphorically switch back and go what's a map you know if i I was in a wood and couldn't see the wood for the trees get a map okay so what does Mm -hmm. a map look like in my life oh oh yeah well i don't really know where i'm heading i need to think about my vision i need to think about my purpose so that's one option. Or then sometimes it's just the fact that by feeling as if we can't see the wood for the trees, that once we've explored metaphorically the, the inner wood, there'd be so many different solutions. You could follow a path out, mm-hmm. you could cut some trees down, you could climb a tree. There's so many solutions that by listing all of the solutions in the, in the metaphor, metaphorical landscape, it's as if the brain suddenly goes, or the unconscious, the conscious goes, breathes a sigh of relief, really, that whereas we're using the saying to say, there is no solution, I am stuck, we've suddenly mm-hmm. come up with and presented, and you know, each workshop I do, I find even more um, <laughs> different solutions within the can't see the wood for the trees context. The brain just sort of gives in, really, and just gets, <laughs> oh, oh, yes, there's numerous solutions. And then it's as if by relaxing and having been creative, then we're able to focus on, yeah, of course, this is what I need to be. This is what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thought form that I'm stuck and I'm going to stay stuck forever, you know, mm. that, that thought form is very rigid, and so Definitely. I see the metaphor as a way to, you know, turn your attention away from that thought form, let it dissolve, and then probably your higher self and and your guides and all of your your even your human helpers can then come in and and give you ideas about how to get the real life situation, uh, you know, going. Definitely, and I think. The hardest thing is the ease with which it happens. So I had somebody the other week who, you know, got the book. The, you know, the story is they'd got the book. They were struggling with their exams. They'd got themselves very panicky and therefore they'd got into that, mm-hmm. couldn't even start revising because they were so panicky. They didn't know where to start, didn't know what to do. And they were just, oh, my God, I can't see the wood for the trees. I don't know what to do. And went, mm-hmm. oh, Oh, isn't there a chapter in that book that I got? So they picked the chapter up and literally in 15 minutes had read the chapter, done what it said suggested in the chapter and suddenly went, oh, yes, I'll just write myself a, a plan. This is what I'm going to do. And, and just didn't ever go back to revisit that panic, having just mm. metaphorically solved the solution and sort of turned the fear down and the stress down without trying to do it logically because of course when we're in that fight or flight fear piece we don't have access to to logic so there's an element of of metaphor is able to come in and talk to us in a way that logic isn't at that point in time anyway yeah the we really are guided at all times and the the enemy to that that guidance is the panic and fear and the 
anxiety and the, you know, the deep depression and other emotional states that really block us off from that guidance. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, the, that's why I continue to use it. And I suppose it's never gone away that, you know, the 25 years that I've been using the process, I just love it mm-hmm. because every time, every time it's different, as you say, it's the, it's the inner wisdom of somebody being able to go, oh, this is what I'm going to notice in the in nature in order to solve the problem that they may have had for some while to ease um, the disease, I suppose, to bring the stress level down in order to be able to to take control and and have some focus on what in what direction to go next. And and I think it's um, appropriate to mention that uh, Jesus and other really um, well-documented spiritual teachers and masters have uh, have taught in metaphors. So evidently, that's a very um, it's a very effective method, and they must choose it for a reason. And I think the reason you said earlier is that people have a lot less resistance when you talk in metaphors. Yes, and, and if you go back even further, then, you know, actually the indigenous cultures, I understand, pre, pre-language, pre you know, were mm. actually very much into pictures and paintings in order to convey meaning. So I think it is the fact that it's it speaks to a different part of us that is able to understand what's going on and bypasses all of that thinking, the thinking that's keeping us stuck. So it might yeah, whether... um, be right brain then, the creative aspect, you know, like a picture you analyze not logically, but with your right brain. Yes, absolutely. It, the, the part of us that is not logic is the part of us that we are we are tapping into in order to, to, to support us to find a solution. And, and I absolutely believe it's the individual. We We all have the answer within us, and it's about... I suppose, turning down that logic, turning down the resistance or the belief that we are absolutely firmly stuck and there is nothing that can be done and Mm. being able to be open to noticing. And, yeah, the answer with this solution, with the book, is that it's a metaphorical answer that says, oh, yeah, let's just notice the tide. The tide is always changing. It's never fixed. It's always moving. Or noticing... You know, the turning a corner, I mean, the number of mm-hmm. times that I have gone when a client has got very, very, uh, well, I did, it, I did it the other week, actually, or the other month with, a, you know, some business leaders where I just sent them around a corner. I just said, look, while I'm just talking with this one person, just walk around the corner, keep on walking mm-hmm. until you cannot see us and then come back and notice what you notice. And they just came back and went, Oh my God! It just feels different because when you've turned a corner, you can't see what you were seeing previously. You can no longer mm-hmm. see, and and then it's uh, there's a realization that nothing is permanent, and that you can mm-hmm. shift to a position where something is no longer the be all and end all, and you know taking up every moment of your life. And it's very powerful to be able to. Walk it. So, so I think there is an element sometimes of being able to go out into nature and therefore we're engaging our body as well. I mean, you can do it mentally, um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's 
brilliant to be able to go out into nature and just turn that corner and to, and for your conscious mind to know that, yeah mm. it is possible it is possible to turn a corner and that once you've turned that corner it's all different it looks different the perspective is different it feels different and it's such, and, it feels like such a simple thing to do and yet i cannot believe how profound doing that can be when mm. you're feeling very stuck so one thing the right brain does is pattern recognition and that's something you mentioned mm. in your book um, mm. so evidently pattern recognition is not necessarily a left brain function I mean, we might oh, yeah. analyze the pattern with our left brain, you know, and, and say these two patterns are different because of X, Y, and Z. But pattern recognition is probably a right brain function. So how do you use that in your work? I think I'm not, I'm not convinced. I, I, do I use it or is it just a no, function no, I mean, of how, what's happening? How you have your clients use it because you mentioned patterns in your book. Um, yeah, I mean, I in, think I think it's the just metaphors. a case of yeah, absolutely, and 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 a lot of the work I do is in in terms of helping people understand that the situation that they're in currently is unlikely to be unique to this one set of situations. That it's likely to be a pattern that's been recurring, but right. but in nature, it's much more about the patterns of nature. So it's whether or not you know it's the patterns of the tide or. Um, the patterns of you know winter, spring, etc. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's being able to weather patterns. So it's been able to invite people by looking out into nature to observe what mm-hmm. pattern is it that feels. So it could be that they notice the tree. So if I'm looking out of my window now, there's a tree, and I know that in a matter of weeks it will start to blossom. And so the pattern is about, oh, okay, so that tree at the moment looks quite dead, really. And yet mm-hmm. knowing that the pattern of that tree, because I'm looking at an, an apple tree, that it will blossom and then that blossom will then um, do whatever it does in order to start the apples. And then and that actually the harvest will come later in the mm-hmm. year. And I think, and, and therefore, if that was the pattern you, that the person was noticing, it would be, a, well, okay, how is that relevant to your life situation? It might be, oh, yeah, it feels a bit dead at the moment. I feel like, a, you know, mm-hmm. a dead end. But, oh, okay, so are there any blossoms? You know, is, is there any light? All right, yeah, well, there might be that. But sometimes we always expect everything to be immediate. And I think nature quite often, the patterns of nature are obviously – or certainly this year, much slower. I am yeah. <laughs> much slower. And what I am absolutely, yeah. and I cannot tell you how many people I've had to say it to this year, which is mm-hmm. we're expecting immediate results. And, you know, right. you, you sow a seed and you mm-hmm. do not. And, and actually, I've bought some seeds and I'm going to do some photographs of this, is that what happens mm-hmm. if you poke a seed and try and uncover a seed every day to go, have you grown yet? Have you, have you started the roots yet? Mm-hmm. versus planting a seed, nurturing it. So, yes, give it water, put it in, you know, give it the warmth it needs. So nurture it. But if you keep going and checking to see if it's doing anything, mm-hmm. it'll never, it'll ne- well, I'm assuming it's not <laughs> going to grow, but I am going to test my hypothesis out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's, so, so that's the pattern. So, so And yet somebody else may notice the pattern of, I don't know, putting... Um, all of the weeds 
into the compost. And actually, mm -hmm. it's the pattern of the composting and things breaking down and then being nutrients for new ideas coming in the mm -hmm. future. And I think that's, that's why nature works so well, because every individual will notice something different. So they may even have the same issue. So they could both, you know, be coming and going, I've split up from my husband. I'm really not sure what to do. I'm a bit, you know, feeling a bit lost. And yet the pattern they notice in nature would be very different. Mm -hmm. And that's, and, and yet, because we, sorry. Well, they can just see something in their metaphor, um, you know, either imagining or actually going out in nature and seeing it. They could notice something that will help them in their real-life situation. Like if the compost is what they're drawn to, maybe <laughs> the metaphor for the compost in their real life needs attention. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's, it's what gives meaning to them. So they could end up with both people noticing something different, noting a, a different pattern in, in nature, and yet the solution mm -hmm. ends up being the same. Oh, okay, yeah, right. I need to let go of a few things or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And but, it, but it's what makes most sense to them. So I've been on workshops mm -hmm. where we have a three or four people, or, you know, all working on the same issue, and then somebody tries to tell the other person what their mm -hmm. pattern means, and then they get very defensive against so, no, them. That's right. not what it means. Yeah. You know, because the compost to one pe person might mean, might be all about using that compost to bring new life in other areas, and somebody else, mm -hmm. it might be more about having to spend time mulching it or, or making it um doing something with the compost because if we just dump it in a heap it isn't going to be as mm. beneficial as if we give it nutrients as well um so yeah people can get very defensive about their own interpretations of the metaphors but <laughs> right. but the beauty but the beauty is i believe is that invariably because I do think that it's either, as you called it, the superconscious or the subconscious that's talking to us, mm -hmm. it's coming from a, a desire for our highest good rather than a desire mm -hmm. to keep us where we're at or an, a, or an attachment to how we are currently. So even right. if we're having an argument with somebody else going, but that isn't how I see the landscape, I still mm -hmm. think it's the higher part of us that is going yeah that's right this is what's right for us at this mm. moment in time to shift from where our current thinking to a more open and resourceful way of thinking right right and then the other um thing with the pattern uh i can't find it in the book i'm looking through the book now but <laughs> you um you talk about uh you know this is the fifth time I've been married to a bullying husband. This is the 35th time I've started a diet that didn't work. Um, these are all patterns, you know. Yeah. There's a pattern. You, you, you tend to attract the same thing into your life until you figure out how to not do that anymore. And like the bullying thing was really good. You know, you, you said in the book that people who are self-confident and sure of themselves are rarely bullied. You know, so, so there must be something within you that you can change to change that bullying marriage thing that you've got going on. 
It's it's so hard. It is hard when we're in that situation where we're being bullied or where we're um, trying our, I think it's 15th diet and it's not working. Right, yeah. It's really hard when you're talking to somebody using logic that yeah. <laughs> for them to take it for them to understand that it's a pattern that it is the 15th diet that has failed right. or that it is the you know however meant 10th boss that's bullied them it's really hard when you look at it from a logical point of view because we're we're full mm-hmm. of but that person said that how dare he say that yeah. that's not right yeah. she and and we get we justify our indignance or our reaction because quite mm. rightly that behavior is not acceptable from that other mm. person and so but we but we push by doing that we're pushing the solution onto the other person the other person has to change in order for this right. situation to be <laughs> to be you know for this situation to be resolved that person has to learn they have to change. you know grow right. up they have to right. change and that is I've I've um, written about it a lot this week, actually, about that's mm-hmm. the hardest thing to get over to people because when we're it talking is. logically, we've got all of the evidence that proves that that person is is the person in error, and it isn't the fact that that there is a right or wrong. It's just uh, the pattern is ours to resolve, mm-hmm. not the other person. So if that if that is the fifteenth person bully that we've come into, then what are mm-hmm. we doing? What's our pattern? Right. Well, how can we change right. our own pattern in order to either stand up to that bully, bully, not attract the bully, turn around as soon as somebody starts being um, unacceptable behaviour, to turn around and go, mm-hmm. enough. Because we didn't say enough the first time. Um, and that's hot, and that is hard. That's so hard. I mean, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> I'd like to have a day off from this, really. Because it's something. Because mm-hmm. actually, saying I'm responsible for everything that happens to me, and I have to, and I'm the one mm-hmm. that has to change in order for life things in my life to change, is hard work because that's a constant check. Yeah, it, <laughs> when, one of my good friends um, is a is is addressing this topic. His name is Michael Rice, and he wrote a book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, which, again, is oh, the, the whole idea, you know, the fourth person, the, fr- the fourth alcoholic, abusive husband that I married, you know, maybe it's me mm. and not, and you know, the, it, it, it's, at some point, it's beyond, you know, random randomness, you know, there has to be a pattern here. And Michael has this no fault forgiveness worksheet, which is actually oh, from the ancient Aramaic that Jesus taught in, and Jesus taught forgiveness really well. And so, basically, this no fault forgiveness worksheet uh, re- recognizes that it's a pattern within you that you have to release in order for you not to attract what you don't want in your life. So, it really is very, very, um, uh, very wonderful idea of how. Um, the reality we create has filters on it, and if we if our filters all mucked up, then we're going to get what we don't want, and so we have to clean our filters. So um, it's that's it's a, a lovely great... description of it, though. No fault. Yeah, he, it's think, his description, think... not mine. But he he's a wonderful nice. teacher. He says um, not forgiving the other person is like you taking a bitter pill and expecting it to affect them. <laughs> So I, th- I like that one. <laughs> so. <laughs>
<laughs> it's, I mean, it's hard, um, and it, 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 you know, it's easily written, it's easily said, and in the moment yeah. when we're when we're caught up in all when of we're the, the victim, how, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, yeah and, it, and and actually, we're at the receipt of that behaviour that is either mm-hmm. hurtful or painful. It's right. it's hard to be able to do that stopping in the moment and going, hang on a minute, mm. this is not about what's ha- what what is actually happening. This is a bigger pattern. Yep. How do I resolve the pattern? And in, in resolving the pattern, something changes and either the people mm. disappear out of your life. So, you know, I can remember doing a technique and, you know, the woman did not disappear out of my life at all. But suddenly their behavior was not the same. Now, I don't That's know what Michael says too. Yeah. You know, that it's so mm. amazing that somebody magically changes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You're you're in amazement. This is a miracle. This person changed this 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 abusive or this whatever behavior. And it that really is amazing, you know, to me that, that well, this well, method does I, work. Yeah, and I suppose we can all recognize that, that sometimes we can come away from, uh, you know, talking to somebody and think, well, that wasn't me. Why did I behave like that? Mm-hmm. You know, that person yeah. brings this behavior out in me, and yet you know that that's not you most of the time. And that's exactly the same in reverse, really. We're just saying that sometimes we push other people's buttons for them to yep. behave in a way that reacts to our button it's our button really yeah. pressing yeah. that's bringing out a behavior in them that as, as soon Especially as we stop pressing people. the button <laughs> <laughs> i think i think being married is you know i've not ever been married but i think just just watching married people i think the 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 buttons you you just automatically know how to push your spouse's buttons <laughs> you know it's like well and, an and innate there is, knowledge there is a after you've been together for a while <laughs> Well, and there is a belief that that's why why we're in relationships. That the quickest way it to is. resolve resolve your patterns is to get into yeah. a relationship yeah. with the awareness that when we get annoyed with the other person, it's a button to be resolved rather than that's a right. blaming blaming the other person. That you know, blaming, if it's yeah, the, yeah. yeah, yeah, blaming the other. Hmm. I wanted to explore a little bit about why people get stuck. Um, one thing I could imagine is that they have fear of proceeding on their spiritual path for some reason. It's probably a subconscious fear. I don't think it would necessarily be a conscious fear. But people would get stuck because they are afraid of what's ahead, because they might have to, you know, get out of a marriage. They might have to change a job. They might have to, you know, whatever, and they don't want to. What do you think about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's driven from fear of some description. It's either fear, as you said about, you know, past memory in terms of reliving the the past. We don't want to relive the past. So something, Mm. you know, triggers our belief that we're now going to go in a particular direction. The the fear of, yeah, success sometimes. Success, Mm -hmm. failure, what exactly as you say what what might to we change yeah what what yeah i mean what, one of the one of the um questions i quite often ask people at the start of a workshop is why do we resist change because we we seem to think everybody else should would be open to change and yet most <laughs> right. of us resist it ourselves and it's and it's mm-hmm. interesting when we start coming up with a list of why do we resist change you know what is the I mean, there are lots of different blockers in terms of, you know, we're in a comfort zone. It's it's easier sometimes to be in yeah. that comfort zone. And as soon as 
you know, actually, if I look at what life was like when I was sleepwalking, I wasn't mm-hmm. as tired as I can be now because I wasn't using my conscious, you know, much conscious energy to be tracking what was happening. Whereas mm-hmm. actually sometimes what we're, in, we're, we're needing to do is to be more consciously aware of, of what's happening. Whereas being in our comfort zone requires very little, en- you know, little energy because we're not at the edges of it. As soon as we start getting to the edges, then, well, we don't know. We have to, it, we have to bring mm-hmm. pat, you know, patterns of behavior into conscious awareness because it's new. We've never done it before. So it's conscious. And so everything's more difficult. And so sometimes it yeah. is, you know, I, on a bad day, I just want, I just want it to be easy. I don't want it to be difficult. Yeah. I don't want it to have yeah. to think about, oh, how did I behave when that person gave me some negative feedback? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Car- Carolyn May says that oh. when you go from being asleep, you know, this, she calls it a horizontal existence to a vertical existence where you're more conscious she says you either have to lose everything or think you're going to lose everything. And that includes relationships, finances, health, and anything else that we value. So this is the dark night of the soul, which she's written about. So nobody really wants to go through that. You know, it's no. like, it's like when, when you're horizontal, when you're asleep. And I remember when I was asleep, it was before 90, 1990. Um, you know, I was in, I was, yeah, I had a very difficult, um, three-year college thing at Johns Hopkins and I went to medical school. Medical school was very challenging. Then I went through residency where, you know, you had sleep deprivation and, and all this other, uh, very difficult thing all the time. I'm loving it because I'm loving what I'm doing, but I was asleep like you were when you were, you know, a mm-hmm. purchaser and in your marriage, I was asleep and I was supposed to be asleep because that was, that was all I could really handle at that time was getting through that. But then the minute I passed my boards in plastic surgery, all of a sudden, you know, it all started, you know, the, the spiritual development and then the dark night of the soul and the whole, you know, the whole thing. So what I'm thinking is a lot of people, number one, want to stay asleep. I mean, they really do because it's, it's, um, they don't want to go through the dark night of the soul. They don't want to actually take responsibility for everything, you know, and, and then work on it. So um, these are the things that are involved in spiritual growth. It's hard. I mean, it, it, it's hard. And yes, at the other time, I wouldn't be without it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that, that it's it was that path. But, but I do know that, and I'm thankful because I didn't have to go through a near-death experience, which can be very traumatic. I mean, I've interviewed so many people who wrote books on near-death experiences. I've been doing Temple of Health for about 25 years, so once a week I talk to somebody. So you can imagine the number of people I've yeah, talked to, wow. including Carolyn Mason. I had a TV show for six years, so I met Carolyn, Norm, uh, you know, Andrew Weil, Bernie Siegel, Larry Dossie, Wayne Dyer. I met them all because they came to my radio, sh- my, my TV show. So. Oh, so it really has given me a chance to explore spirituality, and um, so I know other people's stories, which is why often I start the show with Tell Us Your Story, mm. because some people had a near-death experience where they got hit by lightning, and they had to learn to walk and talk again. I mean, think about that. I mean, you and I did not go through that, you know. <laughs> Thank God. You know? I mean, yeah, think about yeah. it. you had to learn to walk and 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 communicate. You didn't. You, you were your brain was wiped out, 
I mean, that's one kind of dark night of the soul. So I become thankful that my dark night of the soul was nowhere near as traumatic as other people's. You know, there's, you're always looking for gratitude, as you know. You know, the more gratitude you can have in your life, the, the easier the past. So, you know, so you look around and you go, well, mine wasn't so bad. You know, it's like, thank God. <laughs> but I know, think, so. but I think there is that. What is it that kicks us out of our comfort zone? And I think. You know, you've got to be a certain sort of person to actually step out of that comfort zone and step into that unknown without the kick. I think so. I think there is an element of it's, you know, as you say, near death experience or in my case, the end of a marriage or it might be an illness Mm -hmm. or it might be bereavement uh, that that there's something that somehow Mm -hmm. kicks us from with Caroline's analogy. Yeah, horizontal to vertical. Let let me tell you real quickly what mine was, because I think it's very unique. I was working with a group of clairvoyants. There were seven of us. I was guided to stop plastic surgery and start working with this group. I was off. I didn't practice surgery for uh, five months. And so we worked with this group several times a, a week. And the clairvoyants in this group and other people I knew and even my mother it was all pointing to the fact that I was going to die in a car crash in about two weeks on 285, which is a big, big thing around Atlanta. So it took me about eight hours to release everything. I released, you know, everything. And I was okay with it. I was okay. I accepted that I was going to die. Well, two weeks went by. I continued to drive on the highway. I didn't, you know, I didn't avoid it. And then um, after about two and a half, three weeks, I got messages from the clairvoyance. Oh, you're not going to die. <laughs> <laughs> so carolyn's thing you're thinking you're going to lose everything you see i didn't yeah, have to go bankrupt i didn't have a near-death experience i didn't lose all my finances i didn't um i wasn't in a marriage or anything but you know i, I didn't lose any significant relationships but by thinking i was going to die i had to release all of them yeah, no, I mean, I, I remember I moved to where I live now and I was in full-time employment and it was getting very bullying. It wasn't a healthy environment for me and yet I stuck in mm-hmm. there. And and you're right, I, ha- I, I can remember now driving home and the day where I said I am prepared to let the house go, I am prepared mm-hmm. to not have financial security. Right. Yeah. Was the tap what was when? Oh, okay, I'll leave the job. Because right. because otherwise yeah. I was absolutely clinging on to You were to stuck something. in the job, yeah. You were stuck gonna in have the to job be there. Yeah. Because I was there in order to fund the lifestyle the that I've got. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I love right. I love my house and you know, it would pain me yeah. if I left the house. But I had I absolutely remember the decision was made, mm-hmm. I will leave it. For, uh, if it's actually for my highest good, would yeah. prefer not to. But in order to let go to let go of that, then that meant I could let the job go. And then obviously, um, I've been working for myself for the last fifteen years, and so that's right. Yeah, loads so better. You followed your guidance, and, mm, and had you yeah. not followed your guidance, depending on how stubborn you had been, you <laughs> might have been fired from that job and lost the house. And this is what I want people to understand. Um, I want people to understand that the more you hold on to these things you think you can't live without, the more you're actually going to lose. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it, it's hard, isn't it? Hard, hard. But, yeah. But, I think that's important said, because I only spent two weeks or two and a half weeks. 
really not that long. You see, yeah, mine wasn't was that great. painful. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think I, I, I went round and round the houses for for ages in terms of the yeah mm-hmm. and, and observed the health getting you know, the mental health deteriorating, yeah. the physical health deteriorating, the right. life right. getting very much smaller because you know, you were I was on that um hamster you wheel. You were stressed out. Yeah, you were yeah, very completely. Out. And then yeah. it was yeah. oh, you know what? The only thing I need to let go of is why I'm doing this which is right. to keep the house. Mm-hmm. And, right. Yeah. Right. As soon as that was let go, then yeah, yeah it made a huge See, difference. I think, that, I think that's very um, educational for people to know that um, it's not that you're going to lose everything. It's not that you're going to, you know, have a near-death experience and spend the next six months getting over it so that you can even walk again, which, again, that, that can happen. Um, but that... It is really uh, your higher self asking you just to release the things that you're attached to in an unhealthy manner, whether it be, you know, things for your physical health, your relationships, your financial, um, or your, your, your job. And uh, those are the main four areas. And so if you can detach from those unhealthy bonds that you have with things, then that allows the energy to come in to transform you into the in, into a life that has a lot more purpose and is a lot more exciting, more creative, and you're ultimately a lot happier. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as you were talking, it reminded me of somebody where they knew for two years they needed to leave their partner, but they weren't mm-hmm. prepared to leave their partner, despite the fact that they knew they needed to. And it was only once they were able to release that partnership that everything mm-hmm. shifted now in that instance they did have to leave the relationship but um yeah we, we, it, well but in I, that I, relationship to... that person the person they were in relationship with was probably draining their energy oh, oh completely and they could and at one level so you can't stay that. with that person no matter what no, i mean if I somebody if a job's draining your energy or a relationship's draining your energy or a house because it's moldy for example you know oh, if you live yeah. in a moldy house your physical health could be so badly affected you can't even work so the, what i tell people is you've got to get out of that house i mean or treat the mold you know one or the other you know you can't you can't just continue to go back to a moldy house you'll have no and, and i think that's the that's the waking up though isn't it it's the it coming it's coming back to the patterns it's being able to observe the pattern rather than mm-hmm. get caught up in all of the minutiae of this yeah. particular instance to be able to go oh yeah the pattern is the holding on too tightly and i mean right you know, I, I i'm still a control freak it's that <laughs> that'll be my uh, challenge that'll be the challenge to the end of the, <laughs> the last my days, thing that goes is that control huh <laughs> that, uh, that control is yeah. totally an illusion by the way <laughs> yeah no totally absolutely. an illusion it's the whole yeah <laughs> it, 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 as soon as somebody you know invites me to think differently then i can feel the, the resistance and which is why i mean it goes back to why i use metaphor because for me yeah if somebody yeah, can ask me is. questions yeah. about the metaphor or say let's go for a walk then right. then my barriers are down my control my mm-hmm. holding on tightly is mm-hmm. not there and i am able to see solutions and and see a way through that when the yep. control in the logical conscious mind is you know 
Well, yeah, you, you probably couldn't teach it. You probably couldn't teach it if it wasn't near and dear to your heart. I mean, we <laughs> teach what we need to learn. Yeah, um, right. You know, I mean, I, I couldn't go out and teach astrophysics, okay, because, you know, it's not near and dear to my heart, you know, and I don't know it. <laughs> so, But I can teach plastic surgery, you see. It's... um. It's okay. all a matter yeah. of what, what we're learning is what we teach. So, Which is why I so love blogging. Co- I mean, yeah, absolutely, because it, it's that going and I can't think of anything better than blogging because it's about, as I write, it's always me going, oh, I didn't mm-hmm. realize that <laughs> as I'm writing it. It's the same on yeah, workshops well, sometimes. Speaking of blogging, can you give us your yeah. contact information? Um, yes. Um, if landscapingyourlife.co.uk um, and then, or landscaping your life is a hashtag on any social media. So landscaping your life hashtag on um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you'll, in fact, LinkedIn, you'll actually find me there. So that might be the quickest way. But landscaping yep. your life and Alison Smith will, will find me. And Allison has one L. It's A L I S O N. Yeah. Thank you for that confirmation. Yeah, clarification. Yeah. Yes, one L and an I. There's yes. probably a lot of other Allisons out there that have two Ls. So especially with Smith as the last name. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But if you do, if you do landscaping yeah. your life and Allison Smith, you'll find me. Right. Right. Well, great. Well, do you have any um, closing uh, words of wisdom for our listening audience? I think my words of wisdom would be tomorrow morning when you wake up to open the curtains and just if if you've got nature to look out onto, then look out into nature or perhaps go online and look at nature and just invite your unconscious to notice a pattern that would help you achieve your goals for tomorrow. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a delightful interview. Well, thank you for having me. I've I've really enjoyed it. Well, this is Dr. Susan Cobb with Temple of Health Radio Show. Please join us next week, and we will be interviewing. um, Actually, I don't have the schedule, so I can't tell you who we're going to be interviewing. Anyway, join us next week.